Well, good morning to you. Welcome. Uh, great to be with you this morning. And um, for all of those who were able to participate yesterday in the online churchwide celebration and also um, the great gift of encouragement to our family, we're, we're thankful uh, for that and just thankful for you and thankful to be a part of this amazing uh, community that God has been building uh, over the course of over 20 years uh, for 20 years of it. It's a, it's a great gift for us to be uh, serving and continuing to serve here at Christ the King, and we're, we're thankful um, for that. If you would turn in your Bible, if you have one, to Mark chapter 10, uh, we're going to read, uh, starting in verse 46, we're going to read through verse 52. Now, in Mark 10, starting in verse 46, Jesus is on the road to Jerusalem. In fact, he's getting close. The text tells us that he was coming out of Jericho, which is just to the north of Jerusalem. So he's coming out of Jericho. He's setting his sights dead aim square on getting to Jerusalem. He's laser focused. Go into Jerusalem. Has to have a lot of things on his mind. But again, as often happens with Jesus, his journey, his purpose is interrupted. This time it's interrupted by a blind man whose name is Bartimaeus. What's Jesus going to do? So close to Jerusalem, so close to that triumphal entry. Will he ignore him? Will he, you know, just tell him he doesn't have time for him? Is he going to stop for him? What does Jesus do? And what can we learn from what Jesus does in this passage. That's what we're going to look at, look at this morning. Uh, and we'll do that beginning by reading uh, from verse 46 of Mark chapter 10. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you that uh, you allow us to recover our sight. When we are in the dark, when we are blinded by our own sin and our own rebellion against you, you call. Let us take heart and come to you this morning. For you are calling us, and we ask it in your name. Amen. Have you ever had the opportunity in life to meet one of your earthly heroes? You know, somebody that you've just held in really high esteem, and you've gotten the opportunity to meet that person. Maybe you have. Maybe if you haven't, you've thought to yourself, boy, I wonder what would happen, you know, if I, you know, bumped into X, Y, or Z, you know, in, in Target or uh, in a restaurant or, you know, somewhere around town. When I was in very early elementary school, this is like late 1970s uh, here, I had that chance. 
my next door neighbor, actually my behind the fence neighbor, who we were really close friends with, they had two boys that were the same age as my brother and me, uh, he took us one Sunday morning on an Amtrak train from Jackson, Mississippi to New Orleans to watch the New Orleans Saints play. And this was a big deal. It's the closest NFL team, you know, to our town. A lot of people were Saints fans. But in the 70s, a lot of people were Saints fans, including me, because Archie Manning was the quarterback for the New Orleans Saints. And Archie Manning was my hero. I had, at that time, a Saints helmet, a gold helmet with that black fleur-de-lis painted on both sides. My mom couldn't find one, and she actually hand-painted one of those for me for Christmas one year because that's what I wanted. I had a black jersey with the number eight on it that said Manning on the back. He was from Mississippi. He played at Ole Miss. He was my favorite player. And for some reason, I think it's because they were fraternity brothers, my friend's uh, father knew him. And so we had some pool. And so we were able to stand before the game at the place at the stadium where the players would enter. And I remember having two thoughts from that moment. The first was, I actually believed when I was nine years old that these were literal giants. I thought that there were actually giants in the world watching these NFL players, you know, go into the Superdome. But second, Archie Manning stopped to say hello and to shake my neighbor's hand, which was awesome. And then he turned to all of us boys, four boys standing right there, and he said, and how are y'all this morning? And three out of the four boys said, we're fine, thank you. And one of those boys, that'd be me, said nothing. I just stood there staring with my mouth open. And Archie Manning smiled at me and he walked on his way. And my brother, doing what only big brothers can do, immediately turned around to me and said, that was awesome. Nice one, Clay. Good job. You know. And I've regretted it ever since. Obviously, I still remember it. Uh, it was in the 70s. Now, let's take this situation up an infinite number of notches, okay? Because at that time, for a Mississippi boy, Archie Manning was a fairly famous human being. But right now, whose presence are we in? Right now, we are in the presence of the Almighty God. The God of the universe who invites you into his presence and he meets with you during times of worship. So how do we react when we are in the presence of God? One of the interesting things about the Gospel of Mark that we've seen as we've journeyed through it is that the disciples had the opportunity to ask themselves this question every day. Every day. Because they were around God all the time. It's just that most of the time they didn't know it, right? They forgot or they didn't believe that being in the presence of Jesus was being in the presence of the God of the universe. You see, the disciples, what we learn in Mark, and they're, like, they're us. They represent us. The disciples experience a good deal of spiritual blindness. A good deal of spiritual blindness regarding who Jesus is and what exactly Jesus came to do. And that is exactly why this particular healing is in this particular place in the Gospel of Mark. Right before Jesus enters into Jerusalem, which leads directly to his conflict with the religious leaders 
and which shoots directly to his death on the cross, he heals a blind man. Now, this is not an accident. This is really actually an interesting, this is, this is a repeated marker in the Gospel of Mark that when next time you read through it, you should look for this. Three times since chapter 8, Jesus has predicted his death on the cross. At each of those predictions, his disciples have misunderstood it. First, Peter telling Jesus he shouldn't go to the cross. Then the, then the disciples all arguing amongst themselves about who is the greatest. And then two of the disciples, as we talked about last week, James and John, taking Jesus off to the side and asking them, asking him if they can sit at his right hand and his left. So three times Jesus predicts his death, three times his own disciples misunderstand him, and three times there is a healing miracle following the misunderstanding of the disciples. You see, it's on purpose. So the point here is to press us to see That's the point. The point here is to press us to see, to see and to understand the true ministry agenda of Jesus, the one who has come from his Father to redeem his people. Or if we want to just put it in the language that Jesus himself used, as we saw last week from verse 45, to give his life as a ransom for many. So if this is true, if this is what Jesus is about, if this is his mission... How do we participate in it? How do you and I participate in this ransom? How can Jesus' death on the cross apply to you and transform your life? Well, we can see three answers in this miracle with respect to Bartimaeus. First, we have to recognize our need for Jesus. That's first. Second, we have to respond to the call of Jesus. And finally, we have to receive the grace of Jesus. So recognize your need for Jesus, respond to the call of Jesus, receive the grace of Jesus. So first, recognize your need for Jesus. Um, Having lived in Houston, as we just talked about yesterday, for 20 years now, a lot of the time that I have lived here over the last 20 years, convincing people of their need for anything has sometimes been a bit of an uphill battle. In our culture, sometimes over the course of the, you know, uh, of the last 20 years, it's been hard to convince people that they really need anything. When, when we live in comfort, when we have ample financial and social resources, when we can travel whenever we want and into a lot of the places that we want, and when we're healthy... When all those things are going for us, it's it's sometimes hard for us to actually feel like we really need anything at all. But you know what's going on right now? What has been happening over the last eight months is a lot of that has been stripped away. It's a facade. It can be stripped away. It is being stripped away, right? From economic uncertainty to job loss to travel restrictions, to uncertainty regarding how school is even going to function this year, to increased polarization of our society and proliferation of a, a virus whose ultimate effects are still unknown. I just don't think most of us feel as comfortable and as secure as we may have a year ago at this point. And that could actually be exactly the opposite of what we may think it is. We may think that this is the worst thing that could happen to us. 
We may think that, wow, why is God being so unkind to us in all these things? But could it possibly be that God is being monumentally gracious to us? Could it possibly be that in stripping away the facade of our security, our health, our ability to care for ourselves, our ability to manage our stress by getting away and doing whatever it is that we want uh, or even sending our kids you know, out of our house for a brief period of time? Could it be that stripping those things away is a grace of God to us? Could it be? Let's think about blind Bartimaeus. The disciples, you see, they did not seem to need Jesus in the previous passage. They certainly were not desperate for him. They wanted Jesus. Really, they wanted something from Jesus. Because what they thought that Jesus could give them ultimately was earthly power and authority. That's really what they thought his Messiahship was about. But Bartimaeus is altogether a different story. He has none of those illusions, right? First, he's a blind man. This is significant. And it's significant that this last healing of Jesus is a blind person that's recorded in Mark. You see, because blindness in Mark is a physical, uh, it's a physical manifestation, but it also hints at something spiritual. It is a physical debilitating condition that Jesus often corrected as part of his healing ministry to demonstrate the power of redemption and the kingdom of God through physical healing. But blindness has a symbolic element to it as well. It's a physical condition that represents a spiritual problem. Not Bartimaeus' spiritual problem. He's not blind, you know, because of some... uh, I'm not saying that that Bartimaeus' blindness is a punishment for his particular sin. I'm saying it's representative of a universal spiritual problem. And the spiritual problem, the universal spiritual problem is this. Without the direct intervention of Jesus, we will persist in not being able to see who he is or receive what he has accomplished on our behalf on the cross. We're spiritually blind because we are dead in our sin. That's what the scripture tells us. Now listen to the cries of Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus comes to Jesus in exactly the opposite way that his two disciples came to him in the previous passage. They pulled him aside and said, Jesus, when you enter into your kingdom, let us sit at your right hand and your left. We'll do a good job ruling for you. That's one approach. Bartimaeus' approach to Jesus is the polar opposite of that. What does he do? He simply screams, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. In fact, people are getting, have you ever been in a situation where it's like socially uncomfortable? Everybody was socially uncomfortable. Like Bartimaeus, this is like really inappropriate. You're embarrassing yourself. You're kind of embarrassing me. You need to knock it off. But what does he do? He screams all the louder, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He is desperate. He is desperate. His disciples approached him in an entitled way. We deserve this honor. Bartimaeus approached Jesus in a desperate way. Just have mercy on me. So what's the lesson? The lesson is this. The necessary precondition for your salvation and for my salvation is desperation. The necessary precondition for salvation is desperation. 
If you understand your need for Jesus as anything less than a desperate plight that you have no power whatsoever to pull yourself out of, if you think that in general you're basically a good person and you just need a little supplement, a vitamin J shot of Jesus to kind of send you over the hump, while believing you might see things clearly, you're actually remaining blind. We must all first and with absolute honesty and clarity recognize our desperate need for Jesus. Second, then we respond to the call of Jesus. We recognize our need for Jesus. We respond to the call of Jesus. One of the great beauties of this passage and something that I don't want you to miss because um, Jesus is, a, is massively patient and massively gracious. And that really should make us massively patient and massively gracious. The fact that we're not is incongruent you know, with, with really the way that Jesus interacts with people. Because Jesus diverts himself from the path that he is on from Jericho, which is close to Jerusalem, on to Jerusalem. Can you imagine how hard that would have been for Jesus to divert himself? Can you imagine all the things that were going on in Jesus' mind, knowing what awaited him when he entered the gates of the city of Jerusalem? Can you imagine the burdens that he was carrying on his shoulders that nobody else understood? Do you, could you imagine how lonely he felt? How alone that he felt? And yet this blind man calls out to Jesus and he stops and he turns and he says, call him, call him over. Now all these people that were a second ago rebuking him are cheering him on. Hey, good news, he's calling you. And how does Bartimaeus respond? It says he stands up and he leaves his outer garment lying on the ground and he runs to Jesus. He goes to Jesus. Now that's significant. His outer garment is probably what he was holding out for people to put money in so that he could actually live, have food, and not die. Just leaves. He probably certainly only had one of those. And he just left it there. Following the voice of Jesus, he drops everything and goes to him. You see, Bartimaeus recognized something in that call. And I would encourage you to recognize it as well. Someone who owns their desperate need is desperate also for the life that only Jesus can give and understands that Jesus is the only one who provides it. And that person will drop everything, anything and everything, to run toward that call, even if it's their livelihood, which it was for Bartimaeus, more likely, most likely. And even if they don't know exactly where responding to that call is going to lead them. When I was in middle school, I was a Boy Scout. Uh, I made it all the way to life, which is another, I'm, I'm giving you all of my regrets. This is my second regret. I made it to life, my troop folded, and I just didn't keep going. And I'm thinking, that was dumb. But anyway, when I was, when I was young, when I was a newer Scout, the older Scouts, um, they took me out on, I don't know if Boy Scouts still do this. So if they do and you're younger and you're going to be a Boy Scout, I'm about to give you a pro tip here. Uh, they took me out on what they called a snipe hunt. They still do that? You know, essentially you go out into the middle of the woods in the dark and they give you a bag, like a pillowcase and a stick. And they say, we're going to go over here and we're going to scare these birds and they're going to come running by you and you're supposed to whack them with, a, with the stick and put them in the bag. It's like, okay, that sounds good. So, you know, I was sitting out there in, in, in the woods in the middle of the dark and I was being very, very quiet because I didn't want to scare these fictitious birds that didn't actually exist. Um, and I waited and I waited. And I waited, 
and I waited. And because I'm probably denser than the average bear, I waited longer than I should have to realize that they were messing with me. Um, and that there was no bird that was going to run and, uh, you know, and I was going to get to whack them over the head and put them in the bag. And so then I thought to myself, okay, uh, where's the campground and where's my flashlight? See, stupidly, I had forgotten to bring my flashlight and it was a moonless night in the middle of nowhere in the dark and it was really, really, really dark. It was like can't see your hand in front of your face. You know there are trees out there somewhere, but you can't see them, that kind of dark. And that was about the time that my heart rate picked up and, and I started to actually get really scared. But that's when I heard somebody calling my name, Clay! where are you? And I'm yelling back, I'm out here somewhere. I don't have a flashlight. I don't know where to go. See, the older guys were calling to me and this is what they did. This guy said, in his grace, he said, okay, I'm going to bang on the lid of this trash can. One bang is for a fastball. Two bangs is for a curveball. That's a joke. Um, but, but that's actually what they did. That, that, that is actually what they did. Uh, he just sat there with, and, and, and banged on this lid of a, of a trash can, and I followed that sound back to the campground. If I hadn't followed that call, I would have remained lost in the dark, right? I wouldn't have made it back on my own, nor would Bartimaeus have been healed from his blindness if Jesus had not called him to himself. Nor will you and I be healed from our spiritual blindness and our slavery from sin, if Jesus doesn't call and we don't heed it, if we don't divert our way, as Andres was already talking, if we continue to keep going our way and we're ignoring the cause of Jesus behind us, we refuse to turn our face toward him and move toward him. You see, God is the initiator of your salvation and mine. He is. We deserve no credit for it whatsoever. To God alone be the glory for his gracious call. Because if he did not, if Jesus didn't say call him, if Jesus doesn't say call you, call Clay, call, we would all still be wandering around lost in the dark. So we recognize our need for Jesus. We respond to the call of Jesus. And finally, we receive the grace of Jesus. We receive the grace of Jesus. Of Jesus. Let's look first at the question that Jesus asks Bartimaeus. What do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus said, I want you to do my taxes. No, he didn't. And that's kind of, it, it, that's, it kind of illustrates the, the interesting fact that Jesus actually asked him a question. Because Jesus knew, right? He knew exactly what it was that Bartimaeus wanted. But he asked him anyway, what do you want me to do for you? He was provoking a response he was provoking, he was, he was trying to see how Bartimaeus would respond. Would he respond in faith and hope? He could have helped him right where he sat. He didn't even have to call him to himself. He could have said, you're healed, and kept going right on the way that he was going. But he didn't. He called him over. He stood before him, and he talked to him. What do you want me to do for you? Now the response, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Now when Bartimaeus says recover my sight, maybe that means that he had been able to see before and he had lost his eyesight over through an accident. I'm not exactly sure what those words actually mean, but it is a simple and straightforward answer. There's no fluff to it. It's what we would call a simple prayer, which is the way that Jesus likes them, by the way. You know, it's a very simple prayer. Not flowery, not overly theological, not overly flashy. What do you want? Let me recover my sight. The NIV says, I want to see. 
I want to see. And finally, the healing. Jesus says something very interesting here. He could say, okay, you're healed. Or he could have said, my power as the Son of God has healed you. But what does he say? He says, your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. And Bartimaeus recovered his sight and followed Jesus to Jerusalem. Now, it really was Jesus who healed Bartimaeus of his blindness. But he was provoking a response of faith in his power to do that from Bartimaeus. He's done that in other healing ministries. Taylor has talked about that before. Andres has talked about that before in just the past couple of weeks. It does beg a question for all of us. How is your faith these days? How's your faith? Are you getting a little exhausted in your prayer life? Because it seems like things are just status quo and they're not changing and you're losing endurance in your prayer life. Maybe you're looking at this fall and you're thinking to yourself, this is just going to be hard. I I I don't know if Jesus can carry me through this. You may ask that question, you know, to, to someone, how is your faith? And they may say, well, my faith is strong. You know, you just got to have, you got to have faith. You just have to have faith that everything is going to be okay. But that is not what Jesus is, is, is pushing us toward. It is not the fact of faith that he was pushing Bartimaeus to. It's not the fact of faith that he's pushing us to. It's the object of faith. It's the object of faith that Jesus is calling us to profess and confess. The object of faith, who is Jesus alone? Faith in and of itself is no magic bullet. It's the object of faith that is important. Bartimaeus did not just yell out willy-nilly on the road to every person that passed him by, have mercy on me, heal me, let me see. He said, Jesus, son of David. He understood something that his disciples didn't. Amazing, Jesus, son of David, have mercy. Mercy on me. What would it be like to be blind one moment and to see the next? Can you imagine that sensation? That happened, actually, not as dramatically as this, to a man named Mark May, Mike May, who, having gone blind, he lost his sight when he was three years old. He went uh, went, uh, uh, through an... uh, Um, an experimental surgery in the mid-2000s when he was 45 years old. So he'd been blind for 42 years. There was a tiny little minuscule um, probability for success. So he didn't really expect much. You know, he didn't really think that anything was going to happen. But hey, I'll do it. But but one day, a few days after he went, uh, he had that surgery, he went back to his uh, surgeon only to get his bandages changed. Uh, you know, it was just it was a, a simple follow-up uh, appointment for a change of bandages. And when the surgeon removed the bandages that he had placed there on the on the uh, at the time of the surgery, something happened that Mike May did not expect: a flood of light, a flood of color, shapes, and all of a sudden he just gasped and said, "I can see! I can see!" And his his surgeon didn't expect it. His wife was in the room; she didn't expect it. But all of a sudden, over the course of a few minutes, those shapes started to actually take on 
form. And although he was 45 years old, he, he knew the colors from going blind when he was young. And he was looking around that room, a hospital room, a doctor's room, which is as bland as you can possibly get. But he's like, oh, there's red. I see red. I see blue. He saw his wife for the very first time. He had been told that his wife had blonde hair. And he said, that's what blonde looks like. I like that. I like blonde. And then he went to a mirror and he looked at himself for the first time in 42 years. And the first thought that came to his mind is, I've heard of what it means for a man to be tall, but that man is tall. That's what he thought about himself. And when he was leaving the doctor's office, he could see more detail. And one of the things that he saw, and this is fascinating to me. So he walks out. And he walks into the rating room and he's going to go out the door. And the first thing that he sees is the, the carpet in this hospital, you know, on the floor. And it's, you know, it's not just a bland carpet. It's got different colors. It's got different patterns. It's got different shapes. It's probably not that expensive. It's probably not that nice. But he started looking around that waiting room and he saw only people sitting there reading, you know, magazines. And he thought to himself, how can people be reading magazines when a carpet like this exists in the world? It was like the most awesome thing that he had ever seen, right? That's the wonder of being blind but then being able to see. For Mike May, it came about because of an experimental surgery. For Bartimaeus, it came about through an encounter with Jesus. What does it look like for you? It looks like knowing your deep need, your desperation for a Savior, listening for And hearing his call, turning toward him. And when he asks you, what do you want me to do for you? Simply responding in faith. I want to see. I'm blind. I am dead in my sin. I want to have eyes that can see you, Jesus. Would you make me see? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you are not so tied to your agenda that you cannot hear the desperate cries of desperate people. And we are those people calling out to you. We're stuck in our blindness so often thinking that we can see we're really in the dark. But Father, in all that is unknown in our lives and in our world right now, we do call out to you. We do ask that you would walk with us. We do ask that you would answer our simple prayers. We do ask that you would give us life and hope and joy in Christ. Help us, Jesus, to hear your call, to respond in faith, and to see you. And we ask it in your name. Amen.